As most of you know, reality TV is not real at all. But there is one show that I've watched, some of you may have watched it, that is as close to that which is reality as anything out there. It's a show that originally aired on the History Channel, and then Netflix has picked it up in syndication, and it has one title, Alone. It's the, the name of the show is Alone. If Maybe you've watched it. They take 10 to 12 people, and they take them out to remote places. They've been on Vancouver Island. They've been down in Patagonia in, Austra- in Argentina. They've been in northern Mongolia or at, at uh, the Great Slave Lake in the Northwestern Territories. And they just take these people and they drop them off in different locations. No one is close to anyone else. And, and they're given just basic survival stuff. They have maybe a weapon of choice for hunting. They have basic Uh, clothing needs. They have usually flint and stone to start fires and just basic survival. They have to build their own shelter. They have to hunt their own food. And they have to survive in the unknown for as long as possible. And the one who stays the longest wins $500,000 or $350,000 after taxes. I have... um, often told my kids, I used to be a hunter. I've hunted out in the woods of deepest, darkest Indiana. I've brought home deer. I have a small set of antlers. I brought that one in myself, field-dressed it myself, did not have anybody else out there, carried it up. In fact, I had told Charlene that morning, because I could be, the farmer was a member of our church, I could leave my house and be in the tree stand in less than 20 minutes. That's my kind of hunting. And I told her, I said, gave her the time to pick me up. And I came walking around the barn, dragging my gun and dragging this deer carcass as she pulled up. I mean, the timing could not have been better. I could manage it on a loan. I've already got my plan. They would drop me off. I would wait till the boat or the plane or the helicopter got out of sight. I would wander around for 10 minutes, and then I would call in and tap out. I'm done. I I had my 15 minutes of fame on a loan. I'm coming home. It's interesting watching several seasons of that show. I have found that there is a theme that winds itself through. Each of these people have a GoPro camera, and they're recording their thoughts. And, And that's really all that you see are their thoughts. And, and you hear their thoughts. There's not a camera crew and a sound crew out there with them. It's, they are totally alone except for required periodic medical checks. And the theme that runs through always is they begin after maybe a week, after 10 days. The, the record is someone has stayed out in the wilderness and survived alone for 100 days, which is crazy. But the theme that runs through is they begin to miss their family. They begin to miss their loved ones. They begin to miss their children. They, they begin to just, I mean, some of these big old burly guys will start crying. And there's both men and women out there, and they begin to miss the people that are closest to them. As I have watched that show and thought about it, I just come back to one basic truth relationships matter. God is a God of relationship. We talk about Father, Son, and 
Holy Spirit who live together in perfect Trinitarian unity and harmony. Relationships matter. You and I were created in the image of God, and as a result, we were designed by God to be relational beings. Relationships matter. And I want to submit to you this morning that I believe the most important aspect of a healthy relationship is love. True, God-honoring, human-being-honoring love. Over the past few weeks, we have been looking intently at the realities of what it means to live a transformed life. We've been working our way through Romans since the beginning of the year. Uh, and, and now that we're in this section, we got all the way up through chapter 11, and we realize this is all that God has done for us. And in Romans 12, 1, Paul says, Therefore, and, and that therefore says, is more or less in light of everything God has done, you have an obligation to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And he says that's what worship is. Oh, we sang some songs here just a few minutes ago. We'll sing some more later. That's an element of worship. But the way you and I live our lives day in and day out is worship. It's worship when you work hard. It's worship when you obey your parents. It's worship when you do your best in school. It's worship when you speak and are kind to your neighbors. The way we live our lives is worship. And, and Paul says, we need to choose not to conform to the world's standard of living or the prevailing culture. And I would say if you're thinking about the prevailing culture in 2023 and a Western culture, you would think about don't give in to consumerism. Don't give in to political posturing, conspiracy theories. Don't give in to self-centered power grabs. Don't give in to materialism. But be transformed by thinking differently, by the renewing of your minds. That way you are primed and you are ready to let God guide you in his way, which is fundamentally different than the whims of the culture. And the rest of Romans, all the way through the end of chapter 15, then, as we've seen over the last few weeks, shows us what transformed living looks like. And our passage today we come down to the essence of what it means to live a transformed life. And th this, this passage today is the hinge, is the hinge between Romans 12.1 through 13.7. It's the hinge between that and Romans 14 and 15. And let me give you today's sermon in a sentence, which is also going to be the first point if you're writing it down in your bulletin. Here's today's sermon in a sentence. After I'm done with this, you can check out because you'll have the essence. Love is the key to living a transformed life. Simple, basic, true, easy. Love is the key to living a transformed life. Bear in mind, when he summarized the essence of living a transformed life, an obedient life that fulfills all that God said, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Drawing from the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And then he said the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the key to living a transformed life. Paul ended this, his section on what it looks like to live lovingly and wisely as a citizen in verse 7 of Romans 13. And sometimes I, I do wish 
that we had Bibles that had all of the headings taken out. And in fact, I wish we had Bibles that had all the verses taken out. Because there were no verses, there were no headings, there was not even any punctuation in the, in the way that Paul and John and the rest of the apostles wrote. And, and, and because sometimes we've separated these two. So let me pick it up in verse 6 and we're going to run right into verse 8. Paul says, this is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The point here is as one lives lovingly and wisely as a citizen, we show that we're transformed, that we're living transformed lives as we meet our obligations. That means we do pay our taxes. And Paul says if taxes pay taxes, then he says revenue. That word revenue, it's really another word for those hidden taxes, those duties, those things that we don't think about. When you go to the grocery store now in Illinois, now you pay a 1% tax. We had a little tax vacation for a while, but you pay it. You don't sit there and look down your list and go, well, I, you know, this evening Charlene and I are going to, planning to drive into Chicago and, and, and be of help to a small startup church. We're going to go down interstate uh, or to I-88 and we're going to cross over this under this thing. It's, it's toll booth, but I don't stop and throw a coin in. I just go over, it deducts it from my account. It's nice, it's fast, it's easy. That's, that's, that's the kind of stuff that's revenue. You pay that. He says it's not just financial. Respect authority. Respect others. Especially those who are in a position of authority in, in the state, as it were. And honor. Regardless of what we think about a person, that, that person is an authority and transform people who don't conform to the culture, show respect and honor. Let me give you a simple illustration. I recall back in the day, after William Jefferson Clinton was elected to be the president of the United States, some of my fellow believers started referring to the president of the United States and his wife as Bill and Hill. Now, if they were like friends who barbecued together and hang out together and spent time together and that was kind of their, kind of their names. I mean, you know, uh, my wife's name is Charlene, but we all call her Char, uh, you know, so it's Scott and Char. But that, we're, we're friends. We know each other. We, you know, but they didn't have a relationship. And I felt that that was disrespectful and dishonoring of the office. Regardless of what Mr. Clinton said, believed, did, by virtue of holding the office of the President of the United States, he should have been referred to by his title. That's the point Paul's making. We owe people in authority, respect, and honor. And then he expands on that. He says we have one obligation. One obligation that we will never, ever pay off. One obligation that we will never be free from meeting. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Romans 13.8 Love is the key to living a transformed life. And if we water this principle down and limit it to just saying you shouldn't borrow money because you shouldn't owe anybody a debt but love. 
then we have missed Paul's point. Money was the furthest thing from Paul's mind at this moment. Some have taught, see, borrowing money is sinful. That is not the point of this passage. There are many other passages that talk about the cautions and the concerns and all of getting into debt. That's not the point here. Paul's thinking within the context is simply this. You will never, ever be free from the obligation to love one another. You'll never be free from that obligation. That is the debt that you will constantly have. And in fact, he, he brings it up clearly in, in 1 Corinthians 13. We call it the great love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 talks about, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But love is the greatest. Why is love the greatest? Because one day my faith will be sight. One day, everything I have said, I believe it will be sight. I will see Jesus. John says when we see him, we will know him, for we will be like him. One day, my faith will be sight. One day, the hope I have, the hope of eternity, the hope of heaven, the hope of living in, in the very presence of God, not just saying he's omnipresent, but actually living in the new heaven and new earth. One day, that hope will be realized. But when my faith is sight and when my hope is realized, I will still have the obligation and the command to love my God with all my heart, soul, and strength and to love one another as myself. Love is the key to living a transformed life. Love is something that I will always do. It is something that I will always be obligated to do. And then Paul adds to this, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. This is what Jesus said as well several times in the Gospels. And Paul amplifies it. He goes in verse 9, he says, The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be is summed up in the one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul references that moment. From, for our time, some 3,500 years ago, the people of Israel camped around Mount Sinai. And, and Moses goes up and, and he gets the law. And the preamble to the law, the, the, the kind of the mission statement for all of us is what we call the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments give us the basic structure. You know, Jesus, when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, was reflecting the first four commandments. And then when he said, love your neighbors yourself, he's reflecting the next six commandments. And, and the idea is we worship God first. We love God first. God has done so much for us. We, we love him. We owe him a debt of love. And, and then we love one another. And, and, and the reality is we are to revere our God. We are to set aside time in our life to, to worship our God. We are to focus on Him. And, and, and then we're to obey and honor parents. We're to, they're our first authority. We're, we're to respect life so we don't murder. We're to respect relationships so we don't commit adultery. We're to respect property so we don't steal. We're to respect others so we don't covet. We live contentedly in this life. In other words, God says, love your neighbors as you love yourselves. Now I understand. I do understand. 
There are those who come from abusive and harmful and shaming backgrounds. And when we say love your neighbor as yourselves, they struggle with that. I, I get it. I've sat in, the, in my counseling office with people who just struggle with that reality. How can I love others? I don't even love myself. You don't know where I've been. And I know that is a painful and a hurtful reality. But some have taken that pain and used it as a way, as an excuse to say, I don't have to fulfill this command because I've got to work on loving myself first. I would suggest that this quote from Jesus and the Apostle Paul is not a statement of condition, but a statement of fact. Here's what I mean. I get that we may not like ourselves. I get that. I get that we struggle deeply with where we've come from in life. I, I get that we struggle with pain, past pain that is real, that is that when we really think about it, the, the, the moment and the, the, the reality of the pain becomes as real as if we're, if we're experiencing right now. I, I, I get that. And yet at the same time, I get that every one of us, no matter how, where we've come from, we all want to be treated with respect. We all want to be treated with honor. We take the time to feed ourselves. We take the time to clothe ourselves. We, we work hard, and sometimes we buy things that we enjoy. Sometimes we go out and enjoy a meal. We, we enjoy events and things. We each have an innate love for self. We each have an innate desire to take care of ourselves. That's what it means to love yourself. And... Paul says, and Jesus says, treat others how you long to be treated. And all of us, if we sat down, we know how we deserve to be treated. You want to be listened to. You want others to be kind to you. If you have a position of authority at work or in, in, in school, you want people to respect that. Paul says, love your neighbor as yourself. And you say, but Pastor Scott, can you help me? Give me kind of a handle to hold on. What's it look like? I can't, but the Apostle Paul can. He says, love does no harm to a neighbor. What a, what a great summary. Love does no harm to a neighbor. That really is the point of those final six commandments. Honor your parents and obey them and, and don't commit adultery and don't steal and don't lie, etc. All that has is I'm, don't do harm to your neighbor. The word translated harm, it's an all-encompassing word. It can mean evil or wrong or bad. It's used to describe something that is either morally or ethically wrong. It's used to describe that which brings injury to another person or injury to their reputation. It's that which makes another feel worthless or devalued. Love doesn't do those things. Love doesn't devalue others. Love doesn't make somebody else feel worthless. Love doesn't shame. Love doesn't do anything that would in any way, shape, or form hurt, defraud, demean, or damage another person or their reputation. 
We want to live transformed lives, those lives that reflect a renewed mind that is not conformed to the culture, but we've given ourselves totally to God as a living sacrifice. We're to be the ones to set the tone. We need to be the ones who out there, wherever out there is for you, we set the tone for this. And we're commanded to love our neighbors. And you'll recall that famous story. It's in Luke chapter 10, where a a, a lawyer comes up to Jesus, somebody who had studied the Old Testament law. And and he began to ask Jesus, what's the essence? The, The question was always, how do I gain eternal life? And remember, Jesus said to him, you know the law, what does it say? And the lawyer said, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said, you've spoken correctly. And then Luke adds, and wanting to justify himself, he asked, who is my neighbor? Isn't that the big question? Who's my neighbor? And remember, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. And, you know, there's the man coming down from Jerusalem. And by the way, it's very important in that story, when you're coming down from Jerusalem, that means you're coming away from worship. So he's coming down into the Jericho Road, and he gets taken on by thieves. They, they beat him to the inch of his life. They take everything. They leave him lying by the side of the road. And Pastor Scott came down from Jerusalem, and he saw him and said, I don't want to get involved, and he walked on the other side. Uh, people say, well, he didn't want to be a ceremonially unclean. No, didn't matter. I'm going home. I'm going away from worship. And then one of the elders of Pleasant Hill Community Church came down from Jerusalem and, no, I'm not going to do that. But then the Samaritan came down. Now remember this. The Jews and the Samaritans, there was, I don't think we can fully describe the hate. The, the, the road to go from Jerusalem back into Galilee, could go as a straight line. You could go right up through Samaria and be in Galilee and save yourself time. But the Jews would go up, get to the border, go over, cross the Jordan River, go up on this side, and then back over. They didn't even want to go into Samaria. And it's interesting, you know, the Samaritan comes, he takes care of the man, he goes and puts him up in an inn, he pays for, we think, about three weeks worth of care, and... Jesus asked the lawyer which one was the neighbor. And the lawyer can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. He says the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Wow. So here's my definition of neighbor. You've heard it before. Any person, any human being, regardless of race, ethnicity, orientation, immigration status, religious, political preference, etc. Any single person who crosses my path at any single moment is my neighbor. Love means that I show them honor and respect and dignity as a fellow creature made in the image of God. Love means that I'm kind even when they're not. Love means that I refuse to trash their reputation even if they trash mine. Love believes that God is truly the God who will make things right so I don't have to go make things right. I don't have to be vengeful because God says vengeance is mine. Go back to chapter 12. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay. God says I'll take care of it. You don't have to. I'll take care of it. Love means, true, that I need, may need to give them some space. 
Love means that I set boundaries for their sake and for mine. Love means that sometimes I say no to protect another from harming themselves. It's important to understand that Paul was very much a realist. He knew that we all needed to be aware that what he's talking about would take place in real time. Love is the key to living a transformed relationship, but love is also the key to living in the present. It's the second thing I want you to remember today. Love is the key to living in the present. Again, Uh, section titles, the day is near. You see that and you automatically start thinking end times. Uh, The theological word is eschatology. But I think Paul's point is not thinking about something out there. It's thinking about what's coming and acting in the now. He says, and do this understanding. What it Do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and the debauchery and the dissension that is jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul's words continue that this kind of loving one's neighbor is not a future reality. It's not something we'll do next week. It's not something that we'll get around to later on. It's a now present reality. The fact is we only have right now to love one another. We are not guaranteed a future. In my funeral sermon that is, gets always arranged for the, the circumstances. But there's a few things that I always include, and one of them is a message to the people who are sitting there who are moving on. We'll be, you know, the loved one has been, will be buried. They're, they're not here anymore. And I talk about, don't wait. And I'll say, don't wait to say I love you to someone. Don't wait to call someone up and say, I'm sorry. Don't wait to forgive someone. Don't wait to mend that fence or mend that grudge. Don't wait because we don't know about tomorrow. We have right now. And that's what, kind of what Paul's saying. Don't wait to love one another. You do it now. Living in the present time, as we've talked about, means to be fully aware of the era and the culture in which we live. We just can't pretend it's all good. We need to be good cultural observers. What's my culture like? How do I live truth and love into my culture? It is easy to sleepwalk through life. If the sum total of my life is, it kind of reminds me, and I won't go all into it, and I won't tell you who the group that did it, but it started out on the first day of my summer vacation. I went out and looked for a job. Then I hung around the drugstore. And it just goes on like that. And, and it's a classroom setting, someone just reflecting on their vacation. And anyway, if that is the sum total of my life, I get up, go to work, or go to school, come home, do my chores, do my homework, grab some dinner, watch some TV, go to bed. I get up, go to school, go to work, 
but it's Saturday. I sleep in till noon. I get up, hang around, eat, go to sleep. It's Sunday. I get up and go to church. Yeah, if that's the sum total of our life, you're sleepwalking. Yeah, there's, there's no life there. And, 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 and we're not living as people of our times. We're not living aware. We're just kind of living for self. We're kind of living for the next day. And Paul tells the Roman church, we need to wake up, people. He's telling them, now is not the time to sleep. It's the time to wake up. Wake up to the fact that God has appointed a time. He says, the hour is more near today than it was before. You know what? Every day you live, you are one day closer to seeing Jesus. Never thought about that. Every day you live, you're one day closer to seeing Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. You, you can't change yesterday, and you are not guaranteed tomorrow. You have today. Wake up, he says. Wake up to the fact that you and I may be the one person in our neighbor's life who can show them true love by just beginning and building a friendship with them. And, and you know what? I would say this. Build the friendship to be a friend. Don't build the friendship so that maybe you can get in there with the gospel. That's going to come as a result of the friendship. Because my friends, and I believe your friends, are pretty smart. And they know when they're being kind of massaged and manipulated. Just build a friendship to be a friend. Watch what God does. And sometimes what God will do is you build this friendship and you get to know this person and things are going really good and somebody else comes in that you don't even know and they share the gospel with them and the person prays to receive Christ and you're going, what? But you were part of the process. Build a friendship to be a friend. Watch what God does. You may be the one person in that neighbor's life who can love them for who they are. God may use that relationship as a bridge for sharing the truth of Christ. Wake up to the fact that God has given every one of us unique skills and abilities to use to build into the lives of others in life and to use to build into this faith community. Wake up to that. Wake up to the fact that living a life characterized by love is the key to living right now today. Wake up to the fact that living a life of love is to be an example to those around us. That we, without just pointing out, we just live our lives kindly, respectfully, and believe it or not, that's living oft times counterculture. Paul uses this example. He says, you know, the night is nearly here. You know, just a side point here, since you're probably thinking last things. People have asked me, in fact, a friend of mine a relative asked me, do you think everything's happened for Jesus Christ to come back? I said, yeah. On the day he resurrected from the dead, everything had been fulfilled for him to come back. Now, what about Russia? What about China? The believers in the New Testament believed that Jesus could return at any moment. They lived with that expectation. There was no Russia or China back then as we know it. And, and so the, this idea of kind of trying to predict and say who's the Antichrist and this and that, set that aside. Paul said, the day, it's, it's almost time. He wrote this in 57, 58, 59 AD. It's almost time. It's almost time. And he says, so here's what you're to do. We need to put some things aside. 
He says, put some things aside. Put the deeds of darkness aside. Notice in Scripture, there's always, if you put something aside, you need to replace it with something. You put aside the deeds of darkness and you replace it with the armor of light. The armor of light is the armor of Jesus Christ. It's the, it's the person of Christ. He'll say later on, we'll get to it, clothe yourselves with Christ. That means to take on and look at the characteristics of Jesus, look at how Jesus lived, and work to live that way and he gives this whole list behave decently as in the daytime not in carousing and drunkenness not in sexual immorality and debauchery not in dissension and jealousy if you take that list and you put it next to those last six commandments and the ten commandments you see the opposite of all of those live the way God wants you to live and these aren't just a list of examples he says uh it's kind of don't live a life that anything goes. We're not to live lives of self-indulgence in which my whims and pleasures at the expense of everything, everyone else is all that matters. Paul says, clothe yourselves with Christ. Put on the characteristics of Jesus. Just as you every day clothe yourselves. One of my habits is before I go to bed at night, I lay out an outfit for the morning because I'm the first one up. And so I have this outfit laid up because I don't want to be turning on the closet light and I have an older dresser, so I don't want to screech in the dresser open and start rummaging for clothes. My relationship with my wife will not start out on a good step if I do that. I lay out my clothes. I think about it. And I lay it out. I clothe, and so, and you do that in some way too. We we clothe ourselves. What a great opportunity when you're laying out your clothes for the next day to think, how tomorrow will I put on the character of Jesus? When Jesus is first, we have a healthy, other-centered mindset. When Jesus is first, we're reminded life isn't always about me gratifying the desires of the flesh is living a self-indulgent lifestyle in which I am the most important person in my world, and for that matter, I'm the most important person in your world too. Every day is a good day for a story, and that's a story about me. And that's what it means to live that self-indulgent lifestyle. And Paul says no. He says love. Love is the key to living a transformed life. And love is the key to living in the present. And I realize sometimes that can sound all hearts and flowers. I, I think you need to know that by the time we get to chapter 15, 14 next week, we're going to discover the Roman church and the Roman house churches were struggling to live a life of love. The Roman house churches had some issues of separation against one another, issues of privilege, issues of judging one another. This is not easy stuff sometimes. See, it's, it's hard to love somebody who doesn't love you back. It's hard to be kind to that person who just seems to be always negative toward you. It's, it's, it's hard to, to love that neighbor who seems to always be blasting their music and, and just so loud and everything. It's hard. But there are times when it's worth it. We have some really nice young neighbors. 
Um, he's a mechanic. They've been doing a lot of landscaping, just a bunch of landscaping. And I went over one day just to say, hey, what's going on? Oh, we're so sorry. We should have come and talked to you because you're looking at all of our... I said, no, 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 don't worry about it. We're the last people you need to worry about. I just see you guys out working here so hard, and I'm just interested. I know that's what the guy across the street said you would say. I thought, thank you, Lord. I got one right, you know, in all my life. And I thought, this is, that's who I want to be. I want my neighbors to know that that guy over there that lives in that funny brick house that has a fire pit in the middle of his driveway, they're still okay people. They don't know at this point what I believe. They know I'm a pastor or a priest or something like that. But that's not the main point. It's, I want to love them. I want to encourage them because they're my neighbors. My neighbor next door, uh, walking out with his golf clubs the other day. I fought the jealousy. And then I yelled over, hey, hit him long and straight. He said, I, I hope so. You know what? There's going to come a day we're going to talk about golf. They fire pit too. I'm just waiting for them to fire it up so I can go over and let the smoke be at their house. You know, but it, it's, it's just that. How do I connect with the people around? You see, we weren't designed to live alone. We weren't designed to live a lone wolf. I don't need anyone. I can make my life work on my own terms and my own way by my self-existence. We weren't designed for that. We're not designed to live alone on an island somewhere fending ourselves. We're not designed to, to live alone on an island of our own making. We're created to live in relationship with one another. We're created to live in relationship in community. And the best way to do that the best way to live as a living sacrifice who's not conformed to this world, but who's transformed by the renewing of your mind, the best way to do that is to simply love your neighbor as yourself and trust God with the rest. Father, your word sometimes is very simple and very straightforward. And we have, we have seen that today. We ask, Lord, that you would Help us learn to be people of great love. People who truly do love you with all of our heart, soul, and strength. And people who love our neighbors, ourselves. And we all know, we all know that we will not do that perfectly. We all know that that is going to be a, a daily struggle. Because not only do we have this innate, self, an innate nature of loving ourselves, we have an innate selfishness. We want the story to be about us. We want the story to, to highlight us. And so teach us, Lord. Humble us. Grow us. Remind us that you love us with an everlasting love. Remind us that you love us in spite of ourselves. And may we, even today, clothe ourselves with Christ as we go out into what you have. In Jesus' name, amen.